So if you were um, asked to summarize the, the story of the Bible in five words, I don't know how you would do. I don't think I would do very well. I'm not doing well with this thing. That's the one I'm not doing well with. I'm, I promise by the end of this sermon, it's gonna be okay. Um, if you were asked to summarize the story, the grand sweeping narrative of the Bible, how would you do? Um, I wouldn't do very well, but there's a author named Philip Yancey. He's, a, he's written some beautiful things. He's a Christian author. Um, and he tells a story that he went through a time where he was really disillusioned with God. Um, and he, um, he took some time. This is probably 50 years ago. And like all authors do, he had a friend with a cabin in the mountains of Colorado. I don't know if that's like a thing that like you have to have. And he said that he, he didn't open any book except for one book. He took the Bible and in two weeks, he read it from cover to cover. Um, and he came out with a understanding of, for him, a deeper understanding of the grand narrative of the Bible. And so his summary of the Bible in five words was, was God gets his family back. God gets his family back. And I don't know how it strikes you, but when you look through the Bible, it's, it's a sweeping uh, book that's full of poetry and narrative and letters and pro prophetic images. Um, and yet there's this common thread and the way that he writes it, um, he continues, he said, reading the entire plot at once, I saw the Bible as the long protracted story of God seeking to restore relationship with human beings that have been estranged since Eden. And you've got this amazing story of God choosing a people, Israel. But he says, in your offspring, the entire, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed. And so he has, God has this plan in mind to bring together his family. And it was also hidden for ages what that beautiful story would look like and how it would unfold. But through Jesus and through the scriptures, we have a greater understanding of just what God has done through history and through scriptures and what he's doing today in this room and in this community, that it is not just past and it is not just future, and we're gonna look at both, but it's here and now as the people of God, united with Christ, now called sons and daughters of God, this is what Jesus accomplished. And we just sang about it. We sang about him laying down his life, him giving him himself to welcome the unwelcomable, to welcome the enemy, to welcome those who should not be in the family of God, namely me, into his family. So we're gonna look at that in three, uh, three sections. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna start with John 17, 20 through 23, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at this this God bringing together his family is, um, starts with supernatural unity. We're gonna see that supernatural unity. We're also gonna look at the family of God as global and eternal. It's not just in this room, but it sweeps the globe and it spans throughout eternity. So it's global and, eternal, and eternal, but it's not just global and eternal. The last part is it's also here and now. So it's supernatural unity, God accomplished, uh, God's family is global and eternal, and it's also here and now in the relationships in this room. So let's read John 17, 20 through 23 one more time and just simply say, let's notice the amount of times um, Jesus stresses his heart for unity with his people. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So when we did our Life with God series, we talked a lot um, about these verses in John 17, and we're gonna cover another one in just a second, but this, these verses are Jesus's prayer before he goes to his death. And what we get a glimpse is, we get a glimpse into Jesus's heart before he dies. What is most dear to him? What is what is burning in him that he is lifting up to the Father. And we see here his deep desire is not just these disciples that he loved, but everyone that would believe through their word, everyone, and Jesus knew, he saw the global scope of it. He saw the eternal scope of it. And he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So it is, um, it's striking here what he desires in his heart, but it's also striking here, and we understand that this is not accomplished by human effort or human ingenuity or human strategy. The next slide is just a quote from a um, New Testament scholar, Bruce Milne. Um, he says, it is, in accordance to these, um, in reference to these verses and these prayers of Jesus, it is first a supernatural unity defined by and included in the unity of the Father and the Son. The life we share as Christians is therefore nothing less than a participation in the life of the Godhead. So I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this because we did probably five months of sermons on life with God, but the connection is Jesus is making it really clear that apart from participation with the Godhead itself, apart from being brought into relationship with God by the Holy Spirit, the unity between believers doesn't exist and it doesn't happen. This truly is a supernatural unity. All that means is that God makes it happen. Left to our own devices and our natural inclinations, we will divide at some points. We're gonna talk about that. But when Jesus breaks in and he brings his own presence and he brings the type of love that he knew of the Father, unity starts to happen. It truly is only accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And we see the next verse is a verse we hung out with in the Life with, uh, Life with God series. This is just a few verses down. We didn't read it, but we're gonna read it here. John 17, 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So we look at the, the core piece of this unity is that he brings his own presence into our lives and he brings the very love of God into our hearts. Romans 5, 5 says, the love of the Father has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so the, the follower of Jesus, the one who is trusted in salvation, forgiveness, and a welcome in a family, has now the spirit of, of God. It's, 
elsewhere in the New Testament called the, the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father, it cries out, oh, we are sons and daughters. And it's a type of love that's amazing because you start to understand, just like in Romans 5, that it's his enemies that he welcomes in. It's the very ones we just sang about, man of sorrows. It's the very ones that put him on that cross that he died for. And he says, yes, you, I'll welcome you in. My blood is for you. The wrong, I'm, God's family is not, the, not him inviting the right type of people. It's him inviting the wrong type of people. When Jesus came breaking into the world, he had religious leaders that set up parameters and, and strict rules. And what they did is they set up a place where they could follow the rules. And so their acceptance in front of God was based on what they could do. And the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks straight through that. And Jesus came saying, no, no, no. No, I came to, I came to save the sinners, not the righteous. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not, not sacrifice. And then he says, blessed are the poor, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. He says, well, it's harder for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Well, in their culture, it's like the rich were blessed by God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's those who come humbly before me and say, I need a savior. I'm desperate, I need help, I need saving, I need healing. Those are the people that receive the blessing of God and receive the invitation and the acceptance to be called sons and daughters of God through the blood of Jesus by nothing that we've done in ourselves. So he welcomes us in and it's supernatural because now we all share the knowledge of the love of one father and we all share the knowledge of the leadership of one shepherd. And so in Ephesians 4, we see this beautiful passage, Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Paul's talking to a group of followers of Jesus in the city of Ephesus, and he's encouraging them. And he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And this is a constant theme throughout the New Testament as God breaks down walls. And we, as a church together, tried to memorize Colossians 3. And part of Colossians 3 is says that now there's neither circumcised or uncircumcised. There's not barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, no, all those are taken down. It's Christ is all and in all. But this comes only by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> it's, it's just really clear that Christians throughout history, throughout the 2,000 years of Christian history that we, we do have and can observe, that a common theme has always been that Christians will try to manufacture this unity that Jesus prayed for from strategies that seem harmless to something as tragic as Christian crusades that happened, the attempts to take things into our own hands and create this unity always fails and brings harm and pain. Notice that Jesus didn't pray to us, he prayed to the Father to create the unity. He's asking God to do it. He's asking us to step into participation in the life with God. And through knowing his love, and through being included in his family when we shouldn't have, being saved, we find a love that 
surpasses all others and, and we find the ability to step into relationship with people that we wouldn't normally step into. We find a love that starts to overcome the barriers that normally separate us. We'll always be tempted to live out the Christian life in this age apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's never God's plan and unity and our attempt to do that apart from the Spirit is no exception. His presence in us and his love in us is always his plan to bring about the unity of his church throughout history. It was that way, we're gonna see, it was that way for the disciples. They were rallied, such a, an amazing group of guys, interesting group, they were rallied around one rabbi. And now for us, as God's people, we're rallied around one shepherd that we know by the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we know the same shepherd, he's in our presence, he's walking with us. And in the future, when we look at that day, that eternal day, when he brings all of his family together in that new restored heavens and new earth, we'll also be rallied around that same Jesus, that same savior. We're gonna look at it, that same lamb who was slain and we'll see him face to face. Revelation 22 says, no longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night and day will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So that brings us to global and eternal. This family of God and this unity that we are to share together under Christ by the Spirit because we are a part of it. And so when we, we're gonna look at three, um, three Old Testament passages and we're gonna, we're gonna cruise through them pretty quickly. They repeat the same things and it's just to get us the idea, okay, this was God's plan and this is God's plan and it will still be his plan today. Um, uh, in the Old Testament, God blesses this people of Israel but it was always his plan to bring together a big family, right? That breaks down every wall and every barrier. Um, we get glimpses of that in the Old Testament and then we see the fulfillment of it through the New Testament and into Revelation. But the first passage we're gonna look at is in Daniel and this is a prophecy of the prophet Daniel. And um, this prophecy in Daniel 7, 13 through 14 says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient, ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So that's the prophecy in the Old Testament. Um, and then we see it fulfilled in the vision of John in Revelation. So John, this same disciple that wrote the letter that we, the, the, um, uh, the gospel that we were just reading in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, there's this image. Um, it says there's among the throne a lamb as, as the, a lamb who was slain standing in between the throne. And it says they sing a new song. And this is a vision of what's to come when God makes all things new. Worthy are you to take up the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God 
from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And we'll go to the next one, Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And so we see this commonality. We see this figure, this Lamb, or we see the Son of Man, and we also see the commonality, a great multitude around them of all peoples, of all nations, of all tribes, of all languages. So it was always God's plan to include all types of people. It's fully welcoming in all the people of the world because this is a part of God's glory. The variance of the uniqueness of the nations is still God's plan and for eternity on a renewed in heavens and a new earth, that'll also be his plan of nations, of people, global. And we, we read in the commonality in Revelation seven fourteen. it says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. But we see that, that God's intention in his plan um, was always to bring together the whole span of the beautiful um, tapestry of the human, the, the human variety. And this is his plan that that would continue and that that would happen forever and ever. Um, even today, the, the statistics are, are very clear that Christianity is the largest and mo most diverse belief system in the world. Um, and so that's why um, it's so grievous and what a terrible thing when Christians divide based on these barriers of nation or race or socioeconomic status or age or any, any division, the God-given distinctives that we have, when we break apart because of those things, it's contrary to the very message of the gospel. It's not tangential, it's not um, separate. It is the very message in the heart of the gospel as God is getting his family back. He's bringing into himself a great people. And, and the reality is it's, it's a beautiful thing that the, the distinctives, he doesn't want to assimilate us into the same culture. It's the distinctives of each nation is so beautiful. I remember getting to go um, with my wife's family to Zambia and, uh, and be a part of some ministry that they were doing there. And I remember sitting, getting to sit in this circle as the Zambian people surrounded us and sang a song to us without, without any instrument, without anything else. And it's just like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Have you blessed an entire nation, Lord, with angelic voices? Does everybody get these voices? And then we were playing soccer and it started raining. And, and before I knew it, a dance party had broken out. And I was like, is this a thing that we're doing? And there's this dance party breaking out. Um, and then just the, 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 just the beauty of a Middle Eastern family and the welcoming uh, nature that they have to bring you into your home and feed you a meal or the crazy table of an Italian family of which I'm a part where we're loud and we're yelling at each other, but we really, really love each other um, to the beautiful efficiency of the German people to where I learned that my father-in-law, Randy Schrader, very German, when he microwaves something quick, he always does 11 seconds so he doesn't have to go one to the zero because the time 
do, do. And if you go from here to here, and the amount of times you do that, what you could accomplish with your life if you just did the one, one. And look, Randy's life is fruit of it. It's obviously the right way to go. Um, but the point of it is that God's intention is not to bring us into one homogenous group, but to celebrate our distinctives. They're God-given distinctives, and even our own personalities. It's not introvert or extrovert, or this nation or that nation, or this language. He wants it all together. He is, his goal and his aim is to bring all these diverse and, and unique people that usually would not fit into one big family that has learned how to love like he loved because they have received the same love that he lived in when he was on earth. That's his goal and that's what he's after and he's getting after it today. And so it's part of what we should recognize. If he's after that, let's be after that same thing. He loves it. Um, and it's also eternal. I think it's good for us to understand that the scriptures lay out that our future as followers of Jesus, redeemed and welcomed, are renewed human beings living on a renewed earth with renewed bodies, with all of our God-given distinctives intact, enjoying God and enjoying each other for eternity. That's our future. Real, real earth, real bodies, real backgrounds, real nations, real ethnicities, real differences, unity, love, enjoyment of one another, enjoyment of God forever and ever is our future. But a beautiful thing is when Jesus came breaking into the world, he preached the good news and the good news that the kingdom had come. So it's not just the future. That's why we move into not just global and eternal, but it's here and it's now because Jesus said, I've got good news, the kingdom of God is here. And so he was starting, he was fulfilling what was always God's plan. And so we're gonna look at how he started that fulfillment of God's plan. We're gonna look at him choosing his disciples. <clears throat> we're gonna look at Matthew 10, two through four. And I'm just gonna make some simple observations and we'll be done here soon. The names of the 12 apostles are these first. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So why do we, why do we look at this? Well, even though we know looking from Revelation to Jesus, God was gonna break down every barrier, even Jew and Gentile. Jesus still started his ministry with the Jewish people, but his intention was always at the end to say, go out into all nations and make disciples. All nations and make disciples. But he started with Jewish people, but it's very interesting the people that he picked, these 12 guys to go together. And just to make one observation of two of these guys is to recognize that Jesus called Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. In that day when Jesus came in, the Jewish people were under the um, authoritarian rule of the Roman government. And so a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector is one who has aligned with the oppressor and was getting rich off of collecting taxes from his own people by the oppressor that was over their nation. 
And then Simon the Zealot, the Zealots would identify with people that would be willing to resort to violence to come against the Roman oppressor. The Zealots were willing to do guerrilla warfare to come against the people who were oppressing God's chosen people. So Jesus went about picking people and he says, tax collector and zealot, come, we're gonna share our lives with one another. I don't think we have a full concept of how that doesn't make any sense. That does not work. Those two people do not mix. And what's beautiful is apart from Jesus, they probably never would have crossed paths. And if they did cross paths, it would have probably been violent. It probably would have been a bad thing. But Jesus said, no, 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 come on. We're gonna learn how to love one another. We're gonna learn what the kingdom of God looks like. So even in the way that he, Jesus, selected these 12 Jewish men speaks to us something about God's heart for diversity, his heart to bring all types of people together to learn to love as he loved and to learn how to live in the kingdom of God. So you've got, um, you've got these, these guys that they're, they're living their lives and they come under this rabbi and we have to understand that they probably didn't change what they were doing immediately. They probably stayed a tax collector, and we're not told this in scripture. Probably stayed a zealot, probably held those deep convictions, those deep ideologies of what was right and what was okay. But at the center of their community was this person, Jesus. It was his presence with them, and it was him teaching them, him walking with them. And through their journey with him, they stayed a people, they stayed a community. He brought this community together and it ended up taking over the Roman Empire. It ended up spreading across the world. It was unstoppable. And I, and I, think, it's, I think we just recognize that it should not have worked because everything that our world and our culture and every nation, there's always dividing lines there's always something that keeps us apart. And we have to remember what Jesus said in those verses in John 17, that the world may know that you sent me, that the world may know that you have loved them even as you have loved me because the world should look and see this shouldn't work. They should look at us and say, what type of unity is this? Even if they disagree with us, even if, even if they think we're crazy, God's intention to give a testimony to the world that he was from God is so tied up in our unity together. And so when we look for places, age, when, when, when the community of Jesus becomes centered around anything other than him, it starts to lose its witness in the world and we can preach the gospel all we want, but we've lost our authority to preach the gospel if with our lives we don't display the unity that happens when the love of God fills his people and they come together and learn to love like Jesus loved. Because on the next slide, as Jesus walked with them through his whole life and he taught them and he taught them what the kingdom looked like, he taught them what it looked like a love, and then he shared with them, this is what I want you to do. I've given you a new commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, how is this new? It's new because he says, love just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, the distinctive. All people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And he says this new commandment is love each other as I have loved you. So that's contingent for us. Right back to the life with God, that's contingent on us knowing the love of God. That's contingent on us walking with God and prioritizing that relationship with God so we remember how we're loved. We're not loved on the basis of us having it together. We're not loved on the basis of it being an ideal situation for God. It's not an ideal situation for God. I'm, I'm a mess and he walks with me with patience and with kindness and he calls me back and he seeks me out. This is how he has loved me. So he's saying to us, if you find you're walking in community with others and it's not ideal for you, it hasn't been ideal for me either, but I'm here to love you no matter what and I want you to take that and give it away. Take that and give it away to one another. What will happen is the world will look and they will see something that isn't explainable, that isn't explainable by human means and human effort. It's because this, this community, the community, this life with each other is based on Jesus. And the hard truth is that this community, this Jesus community, has always been countercultural from when it started. Um, when it was a part of the Roman Empire, it's always gonna counter to the culture of this world, the culture that establishes um, what its highest values are. Whether it was the Roman Empire, which is highest value, probably could be argued was power and might makes right. And the peace of Rome was based on the power of Rome and that's how things worked. And then you've got this weird group of people that had this rabbi that said no greater love than this, that, that someone lay down his life for his friend. And then he tells them to love in that same way. And then they, they start laying down their lives for each other but they're not Jews together, it's Jew and Gentile, and it's, it's rich and poor. Um, it's all the dividing lines that normally divided their cultures don't divide their cultures, don't divide this community, they don't divide it. There's real love being shared, and so again, it becomes that testimony to the world. And since it's countercultural for them when it started, it's also countercultural for us I think it's really instructive and good for us to think about how our community and how we view what our culture's highest values are. Here in America today, America that I'm grateful for, it has highest values that it attains to that don't, that don't fit with the way of Jesus, that don't fit with the way of self-giving love. And unfortunately, though most of what we divide over in, this, in the country that we currently live in is our political ideology, no side of the aisle gets to have claim on Jesus. No side of the aisle gets it perfectly right. We have on the far conservative side, we have the ideal, the highest ideal of these are my rights, don't touch them. And then you go on the progressive liberal side and you say, this is my life, don't touch it. I do what I want with my life. Don't tell me what to do. And at the center of our community, the center of Hope Church, at the center of the Christian community is a man, a savior, 
one we called Lord, who said, my rights, I lay them down. He said, my life, I lay it down. I give away myself so that I can call and buy and purchase a people for God, a family with no dividing lines, a family that is centered on the lamb who was slain, who's centered on the one who laid down his life for his friends, and he has a group of friends that have learned what that love feels like, looks like, and and experiencing it themselves. And so we as a group of people break through those dividing lines, break through that my rights and my life, cutting through that is the way of the cross. Cutting straight through that is that God calls us into fellowship with himself, into intimacy with Jesus, who will always lead us on the path that he's already taken. It's the way of the cross, the way of self-giving love that tears down every man-made constructed barrier of all types of people, no matter where you're from. And it produces a, a unity that the world cannot deny. This unity comes because we embody the life of our Lord who laid down his life for us. When we embody the type of unity that comes from knowing his love that laid down his life for us, the things that should divide us in our community right now And then in the future, whatever this looks like at Hope Church, the things that should divide us don't divide us because there is a love that overcomes. There is a love that breaks down every barrier. There is a love that breaks down my own shame, brokenness, and unwillingness to live in the way of God. And he comes in and he brings that love into each individual person in this room. And then he calls us into fellowship with one another where it's not easy and it may not be simple and it may be complicated and we're, we're mixing the people that we're in fellowship with and we're not all, some of us in here would never mix except for if it was for Jesus. And he, God looks at that and he says, that's a beautiful thing, that's what I want to see. I want the variance, I want, I want that amazing, beautiful tapestry of all types of people, all languages, all tribes, all personalities, all, all, all ethnic groups, everything centered around one Lord, one Savior, one God, who lived the life of love and calls us to embody that into each other and be lights in the world through that. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, I know we've talked a lot about him and about what the family of God looks like, but I just wanna say the, the beauty of the gospel is that everything has been taken care of and everything has been brought down so that we, you, could be welcomed in. So you can know fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. And there's so much joy when we share our lives with one another, when it's based on his love for us, when it's based on him being Lord, and to where we lay down all of our other allegiances and we say, Jesus, Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the one we're looking to. He's the one we follow. And when we do that, we really believe him and follow him that way. There'll be no denying, one, whose we are, but also to the world where Jesus came from. So I'm gonna pray. Father, um, as the music team comes up and as the um, 
post-sermon prayer team comes up. Um, I'm just so grateful that your plan has, has always been bigger and better than I could ever imagine. That your aim has always been to bring together this community of loving persons with you right at the center. Jesus, thank you that the community you call us to does break down every barrier, but also breaks through all of our, our culture's highest values and, and speaks a different word, speaks a, a message that the kingdom of God has come here and now, that it's present among these people that love each other with uncommon love. They love each other with supernatural love. And they see that there's a unity that shouldn't exist. That shouldn't be present. Father, I ask you would help us to recognize any places where we've held idols or allegiances that have been higher than you, Jesus, than what you are calling us to the simple confidence and reliance that we can trust you, Lord, and that you're calling us to learn to love like you loved and you will take care of all the other things that you're calling us to seek first, your kingdom, and, and just anything that we've placed above that, anything that we've, we've put above trusting in you, Lord, for our lives and put anything we've put our identity in or our hope in, that hasn't been you, Lord, I ask you, you just show us. Every type of person from every language, every tribe, every nation, every ethnic group, we will all stand worshiping around the throne and we will be worshiping a lamb that was slain, a lamb who is enthroned forever as king of the universe. And Jesus, you are worthy to receive that title. You are worthy to reign and rule forever. Jesus, you are worthy of our lives. You're worthy of this community. You're worthy of us reflecting and imaging you out into the world. You're worthy of the glory of our lives, not just of our individual lives, but you're worthy of the glory of Hope Church, Jesus. You are the one who did this. You're the one who brought us together. We should not be here. Jesus, but you loved us all the way. You held nothing back. Lord, will you lead us and teach us how to love like you've loved us? Will you lead us, Jesus, and teach us to love like you have loved us? Will you help, it, help us make it the priority of our lives? We get hung up on so many other things, worked up on so many other things, consumed with so many other things. And I know that you are calling us to look again and see that man hung on a cross, poured out his life for his enemies, that we would be called friends, that we would call sons, that we would be called daughters. and that we would be able to welcome 
every person that calls on the name of the Lord into the family of God. Jesus, give us a vision of what you're doing. Give us a vision of your glory. If you need prayer for anything tonight, I just want to encourage you, whether it's related to this sermon or anything else, healing, physical healing, it doesn't matter what it is. There's people in the corners of this room that really want to pray for you, and um, we want to be people in this room um, that reflect the kingdom of God and know that we stand in the power and authority of the Lord Jesus as we pray. And so if you need anything or you just want to pray um, about what the Lord has spoken, uh, just come and pray. Father, we love you and we worship you. Amen.